The Appendix N Podcast, Episode 21, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we sift through the essential salts of long-dead authors and call them up so they may divulge the secrets that drove Gary Gygax mad, mad, and led to the creation of the game Dungeons and Dragons. But be warned, do not call up that which he cannot put down. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. My co-host, Jeff Wickstrom, and I, along with any guests who choose to join us, will review the story and talk about how it may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you would like to be part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find their essential salts on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Always a pleasure to be here. And by here, I mean my basement. This is our 21st show. Appendix N is now officially old enough to drink. If every show took a year, uh, which thankfully it doesn't. And tonight we are talking about the case of Charles Dexter Ward, a story written by H.P. Lovecraft. It was written by him in early 1927, but sadly not published until after his death. It was published in Weird Tales in 1941. Uh, Lovecraft himself uh, was highly critical of his own tale, but uh, Jeff and I think it's pretty good, don't we, Jeff? Absolutely, absolutely. When uh, it came time to to read this, I discovered to my surprise that I had never read the case of Charles Dexter Ward. I thought that I had read all of Lovecraft's, uh, you know, at least his better known story. But to my surprise, I had never read the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and so I was a little trepidatious because I thought maybe there's some good reason that I've never read the case of Charles Dexter Ward. But uh, in fact, I consider this story to be kind of a hoot. Yeah, I mean, it's, I would even I say a hoot and a half. Wow. The only the only reason I can think of that I have not already read it is that um, for purposes of length, it was considered just too long to stick in. The various anthologies that uh, that formed the basis of my Lovecraft. Well, how knowledge. does it how does it compare to Mountains of Mountains of Madness? Because that's that's also pretty darn long. Yeah, the the Mountains of Madness. I don't know. There was a Chaosium anthology that included Let's it. See, Mount, Mountains of Madness looks to be approximately eighty pages in the collection that I have. And Charles Dexter Ward is over a hundred. Yeah, if it's eighty pages, that'd be about twenty thousand words. Uh, case of Charles Dexter Ward is fifty thousand words. Yeah, that's weird because I mean, M- Mountains of Madness felt a lot longer, maybe just because there were large periods of time where nothing was 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 happening. Um, I I listened to the audiobook, which I purchased on uh, Audible.com and. 
uh, I will I will include uh, in in the show notes exactly which version that I listened to because I think that there, that there are multiple copies. But but the reader and I, I wish I could remember the uh, ge- gentleman's name was absolutely amazing. He he did New England accents both. Uh, 20th century New England accents and and 17th century New New England accents, and he 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 attempted to pronounce uh, all the weird uh, Cthulian uh, uh, chanting, and 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 he he made it sound uh, exceptionally you know like like wizard chanting, like it it it's, it sounded like like magic words from you know beyond time and space. So like he he did 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 an amazing job of. Of of just laying down the 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 atmosphere. Okay, well, that's awesome. Yeah, so this this story is set in Providence, Rhode Island, which was Lovecraft's home hometown, and like from from the first few pages, you can you can tell that that Lovecraft was in in love with this with this with this town. It's it's where he was born. It's where he he died. And and after reading this, it's it's weird to me that so much of his material is set in Massachusetts when he he clearly was in love with Providence. Yeah, the level of specificity and um, and detail and just care that goes into the the descriptions in this uh, in the, the story are really just top notch. Um, and it's something that Lovecraft is is good at generally. Um, so it was really a pleasure to to read read a top shelf uh, Lovecraft story that I had never read. Mm-hmm. I mean, Love, Lovecraft clearly distinguishes distinguishes himself as as a as a his, historian and a a armchair uh, architect ar- architecture in in enthusiast, right? I mean, he's he's just he's just very fond of of old old houses and and old cities. I'm 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 briefly reminded of. Uh, what was what was it the uh, the painting of oh uh, Pick Pickman's model where 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 he he you know wrote, wrote romanticizes you know roaming roaming you know old old cities was was that was that even set in in Providence I think that was set in Boston yeah Pickman's model was set in the North End in Boston yeah uh, was which was not described to the level of uh, care that Providence is in the case of Charles or, Dexter or even Ward. even way back in. Uh, um, uh, Zahn, the 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 music of 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 Zahn, where 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 he he described you know describes you know uh, uh, the the crumbling old old streets of Paris, which he'd mm-hmm. never never even even been to, um, and it's 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 even it 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 stands out to me that there's there's a part in this story where um, our our protagonist, or he he's not really really the protagonist, he's the subject. The the subject of the story, Charles Dexter Ward, goes abroad to Europe, and and there's a scene where he is returning to Providence after four years years abroad, and and he and twice Lovecraft uses the word ancient to to describe Providence after this guy has been has spent four years in places that that are truly ancient, like you know Rome and you know Transylvania and and you Prague, know, you know yeah Prague, right. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, the the subject of our story, not the not the protagonist, is is a young man uh, by the name of Charles Dexter Ward, uh, who can who can kind of be seen as as a self insertion. 
Right. He's he a- and Lovecraft certainly have a lot of, uh, at least a lot of superficial qualities in common. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Lovecraft ever actually dabbled in necromancy or tried to resurrect his uh, great 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 grandfather. But it's the kind of thing I could imagine Lovecraft doing, certainly. Well, that's, that's the, the nature the, of... The behavior of... That's, uh, that's attributed to Charles in this story is definitely the kind of thing that I've always sort of imagined uh, Lovecraft's early life to be like. Well, the, the, the purpose of a self-insertion is to, is to create someone who can, who can do the things that you, that you cannot do. Usually in fan fiction, it's, it's sleeping with anime characters. Um, I don't think that uh, resurrecting a Puritan necromancer is the kind of thing that Lovecraft fantasized about doing. But, you know, who knows? Maybe that was his own personal version of sleeping with an anime character. The, the protagonist... If that's your theory, I'm not going to hit you too hard with that. <laughs> sure. But I don't know that it's fair to call Charles the, um, really the, the main character. Right, Even because I think that the that title really belongs to Kerwin, Joseph Kerwin, um, the aforementioned Puritan necromancer. Well, I was I was going to name uh, Marinus Bicknell Willett as the protagonist, if 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 not the main the main character. He's, he's certainly he's the protagonist, right. yes. Um, but yes, the this this really should have been should have been called the the case of Joseph Kerwin. So I mean the 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 story I mean I, th- I think we can we can break it down into, into three sections. There's there's the backstory of Joseph Kerwin. There's there's the there's the modern story of Ward investigating Kerwin, and then there's all the stuff that uh, Willett does after after Ward slash Kerwin has been has been locked up. Yeah, I think that it's fair to divide the book up into those three general sections, uh, of which any one I think could easily have been a you know self-contained story on its own. The level of detail presented in the the biographical sketch of Joseph Kerwin is really pretty uh, pretty enthralling. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. So so you think that this could be a, before, a trilogy of films directed by Peter Jackson? Um, I don't know that I would add, want Jackson to direct, no. but I could definitely see a filmed version of this story. It seems like one that would really lend itself to filming, and I know that Roger Corman did an adaptation of it at one point, although I've never seen it. Interesting. Okay, so fill us in. Uh, who who was Joseph Kerwin? Because because we we, we kind of learn about him first. So the interesting thing about Joseph Kerwin is that he was born in 1661, and I say that that's the interesting thing about him, not because I'm trying to be funny, but because it seems like kind of an odd fact. Kerwin is born in Salem, in Massachusetts, uh, grows up, becomes a necromancer, uh, eventually leaves Salem because of the whole witch trials thing, moves to Providence, becomes an importer-exporter, does not age, and around the age of 100 or so, when he still seems physically to be in his 30s, he uh, starts to worry about the uh, the neighbors 
speculating about him being an evil wizard, what with his refusal to age. So he marries a local girl and tries to uh, sort of blend in to Providence society a little bit more. This goes reasonably well for a while, and uh, gradually the man whom, uh, who had been engaged to the woman that Kerwin married, and it strongly implied that Kerwin married her by blackmailing her father, Mm-hmm. Uh, the man who uh, who was uh, snubbed in this way vowed revenge and spent several years like spying on Kerwin and rooting out his black magic and raising suspicions. He eventually organizes a posse that goes out to Kerwin's farm and uh, tries to disrupt the black magic that's going on. There's a whole series of weird magical happenings. Kerwin is killed, and then he is uh, tossed into a lead coffin and buried secretly, and all records of him are expunged from the local newspaper and town hall and so forth. Such that when you get get up to the 20th century, Charles Ward, doing some genealogical research, discovers... um, quite by accident, that he's descended from Anne Tillinghast, um, that Anne Tillinghast had a father who was not her maternal grandfather. He tries to figure out who that is. He has to do a fair bit of sleuthing uh, to determine that Joseph Kerwin even existed. Mm-hmm. Now, the but um, getting back to what I was saying before about Kerwin's being born in 1661 being interesting... Uh, I say that's interesting because he is part of a whole cabal of ageless necromancers. So it would be equally plausible that he was born in, you know, 5th century Italy or ancient Egypt or um, 14th century uh, France as Salem. I was actually thinking about it and kind of imagining if I were an immortal necromancer and I lived in Europe and I had this difficulty where I wasn't aging and eventually all of my neighbors noticed that I wasn't aging and um, you know they grew suspicious, moving out to the New World, to uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, seems like a really smart choice on my, on my part. You know, if I were an immortal necromancer nowadays, I would not be living in a civilized country mm-hmm. um, or a place with good record keeping. I would be, you know, somewhere in the third world. I would, I would argue against that only because Kerwin doesn't seem to be that that clever. Um, I mean, that that's true. Kerwin, in many ways, is a very foolish man. He does a lot of really stupid things, and he's, he's there's not a lot of dramatic irony at, built up. Yeah, he's he he he's not very good at masking what he's what he's doing, and it it, it it's only by uh, dint of the the politeness of society at 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 the time that he's not burned at the stake much sooner. Yeah, uh, Lovecraft rings a fair amount of dramatic irony. Um, out of Kerwin going around, he's basically wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm an evil wizard, ask me how. And uh, everybody is either too polite or too incurious to um, really investigate uh, what's going on. 
for for long after the point at which it seems rational for even a polite and unimaginative person to uh, mm-hmm. to fail to become suspicious. And this and this even even happens later with with Ward, but we'll 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 get to that. So. Um, yeah, there, there, there's at at least two people that that Kerwin uh, is is close friends with, and and there, I I guess there might be more, but it's it, it's it's implied that he's mostly friends with uh, this guy named named Orn and a guy named uh, Edward Hutchinson. Yeah, Orn and Hutchinson are also from Salem. They were part of the same cabal of necromancers that Kerwin himself was in. And and Jedediah Orn at least had had the 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 idea to leave for a while and, and then and then come back as his own son. But like Kerwin didn't even even th- think of that. His his idea was to was to marry a, a a local girl and get a get a child on her. Um, mm-hmm. Although he, it's ultimately revealed that he had an ulterior motive in uh, in having a child. Right. Yeah. Um, he he got some advice from uh, from someone out outside. Right. Who would who mm-hmm. would that be? I oh, could you be talking about Yog Sothoth? The same. The same Yog Sothoth from uh, the the Dunwich Horror. Wait. So there's a. Let me get this straight. There's an evil wizard in a New England town. He's doing a lot of really creepy, not only creepy but obviously creepy, not at all subtle stuff. And Yog Sothoth is involved. Yep. That's crazy. What are the chances? So anyway, uh, basically, um, Kerwin's Kerwin's chief ability. Uh, as as we we I mean we we find this out gradually through throughout the story. It's, it's not really until until the end of the story that that all this be, becomes clear. But his 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 chief exploration into into magic uh, in involves uh, raising up the dead, right? And and asking them questions so that he can gain knowledge and then putting them back back down again. And and he does this by getting their essential salts. Which seems to be like any any scrap of their remains that, that he can get his his hands on. It can it can it, it can be dust from their de- decayed corpse, right? Right. It needs to be all of the body, um, or all of the all of the dust that was once the body. Oh, Since okay. the whole thing goes all cockeyed, if you have less than a uh, less than a whole corpse. Okay. So there is... there are so there are restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. The um... Later on, when uh, his his crazy underground wizard laboratory is getting explored, um, the nominal protagonist um, finds a whole bunch of like cells, and in the right. cells are these proto-human monsters. And it's either strongly implied or stated explicitly that those proto-human monsters are what you get if you try to resurrect somebody but you don't have all of the all of the pieces but it it it, it also doesn't seem to matter like how long the body's been decaying as as as, as, as long as you have the box they were buried in and yeah if the you have the whole has, thing yeah i mean because because he, he gets like mummies from from egypt mm-hmm. and like you 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 have to think that at, at some point like a worm ate a hole in the in the casket and carried something away but at, at, for for the purposes of 
this story is as as long as you're able to dig up the correct body and it's it's in the box it was it was buried in that's good enough yeah i don't yeah i don't know how how whether that falls apart on close inspection or not because kerwin himself arranged before his death he arranged to be buried in a lead coffin uh, which was kind of a nice trick since his death was basically a lynching. Uh, but he was buried in a lead coffin rather than a wooden one, uh, which I assume he did specifically so that when his corpse decayed, all of the remains would be kept in the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be no risk of losing any significant portion of his essential salts. I, I suppose. Like, I, I guess I guess it, it, it helps that, that essential salt is a poorly defined term that's Lovecraft basically made up or or took from you know popular science of of the day, right? Well, popular science of the day had no idea what genetic material was. Right. There was they had figured out that there was some kind of uh, chemical heredity, but the idea that it was DNA was not uh, not something that anybody really even suspected. Um, to the extent that anybody had theories about it, they assumed that it was a protein of some kind that was getting mm-hmm. passed along. Since proteins have like what twenty-two naturally occurring amino acids, um, DNA only has the four possible uh, codons. Right, and of course, I I knew all that because I'm very smart. Um, and, <laughs> and so, what what Kerwin's able to to call up is 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 at least in, in intelligent enough and, and, and aware of its, of its life enough to, to know what it is and who it's, who it's talking to and to be tortured if, if need, need be. Um, and it's, it, it's ultimately not, not clear like what these wizards are trying to, to, to accomplish. I mean, pre- pre- presumably they're, 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 they're trying to learn, you know, magical formula from long dead wizards. They're they're trying to learn the secrets of where, you know, maybe maybe treasure might be buried so they can so they can buy the materials they they need to do their to the, to do their spells. Uh, at 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 some point near the near the climax of of the story, it's it's suggested that the that the fate of the solar system and the universe uh, might be in in jeopardy, which suggests that, that they're ultimately trying to call. You know, Azathoth or Yogg-Sothoth or somebody else, you know, to this to this plane, or 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 even just like you know, rule, you know, rule rule the galaxy under under a a fist of evil evil wizardry, right? Yeah, I, the impression that I got was that Yogg-Sothoth, as an extra-dimensional entity, was the the wellspring from which this necromantic knowledge came, and so presumably. At some point in the process, Yogg-Sothoth was going to rise up and consume the world. Mm-hmm. Or whatever Yogg-Sothoth actually was trying to do in the Dunwich Horror, which is really unclear. But um, yeah, that was the impression that I got, was that the necromancers themselves were not terribly concerned with destroying the solar system, but that it was an inevitable byproduct of of their necromancy Presumably, as a result of Yogg-Sothoth being involved, but it is it is, it is left um, in intentionally vague what what their actual end goal is, if if they have one beyond just being evil, evil and creepy, and and, and what the yeah, the, and the stuff they do, yeah, the stuff they do is really really evil and creepy. So it com- it pretty well justifies the uh, 
justifies the reaction all by all by itself. If the necromancers had no goals or um, purpose beyond just being immortal and evil and creepy, I still think that would uh, that would have carried the story just as well. You don't need to threaten the solar system to uh, mm-hmm. to cause people to care about the existence of evil necromancers. And it's 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 also worth noting that that. Kerwin, it's it's suggested that 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 Kerwin meets his end not from the from the lynch mob, but from something that he tried to summon to fight the lynch mob, and which instead yes. ate ate him. Yes, this story is the origin of an expression that I or phrase that I have heard many many times in my life, and I had no idea that origi- that it originated with Lovecraft, which is "Do not call up what you cannot put down." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I've seen in a bunch of different places. I had no idea that it came from uh, from Lovecraft, but the premise being, you know, if you're a an immortal necromancer and uh, you're you're in trouble, maybe, and you have a bunch of dead bodies, maybe one of the bodies you want to revive is the body of a more powerful immortal necromancer, mm-hmm. one who can uh, who can get you out of your current situation. But, you know, maybe immortal necromancers don't play very well together uh, because basically that's what happens to poor Charles Ward, right? He successfully resurrects an immortal necromancer and boy, do, howdy, does he ever suffer for it. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. arguably he's not really in command of his faculties when he's doing that because he's been ensnared by some kind of extratemporal magic that has forced him into it. So so let's let's get to Ward. Uh, so Ward Ward is the is the um, is the victim, the subject, the 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 person of whom the case is is about. Uh, he's a young man living in Providence, Rhode Island. He's he's clearly the the son of a wealthy family because he, he lives in a big mansion on a hill with uh, servants and and stuff. And he's he. He's scholarly and he likes to take walks and he's interested in in history and and architecture and and as you as you mentioned he 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 discovers that he has this ancestor Joseph Kerwin and and almost as soon as he makes this this discovery he's obsessed at learning everything about him. Yeah, and he's I mean he's just a kid when uh when he starts going down this path. He's 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 a about high, 17, he's, a high, he's yeah. a high school junior. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I imagine I would react differently if I had read this story for the first time when I was like 12 or 13, which is how old I was when I read The Shadow Over Innsmouth and stuff, uh, instead of the old man of 35 that I am now. But he's just a kid. Uh, he has this fanciful idea of skipping college and just dedicating himself to full-time uh, independent research of uh, anti- anti- uh, antiquarianism. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, as 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 soon well as as soon as as he finds out out about Kerwin, that's that's definitely his 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 idea. Uh, the the first thing he he does is is he finds Kerwin's old uh, townhouse in the in in the city, and he he discovers that 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 behind the cheap wallpaper, uh, there there's this there's this painting, right? Which which almost reminds me of of like the like the painting of of of, Dor- of Dorian Gray or you know any any famous painting in a in a horror story right it it, yeah. it looks just like him it it it, it kind of leers at him Lovecraft is really explicit about a lot of the magic in this story but he's really vague on a couple of points and one of those is this painting 
um, Ward finds out about it from obsessively reading through old records and diaries. Uh, he discovers that Kerwin had it commissioned and was painted onto the wall in his house. Uh, he manages to find the house and find the painting. And really from the point where he sees the painting, I think is the point where where he's lost, more or less. Yeah. Um, uh, and because he, uh, he arranges for the painting to be taken out of the old house, which involves dismantling the wall and moved to his own house um, where he just spends a lot of time staring at it when he's not studying the secret magical manuscripts that were concealed in the wall behind the painting such that you would never discover them unless you ripped the painting off the wall. Boy, there's a lucky coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he finds these uh, magical manuscripts. He decodes them uh, um, well enough to know what he wants to be doing, at least. Goes abroad, uh, visits what seems for all the world like Count Dracula, uh, comes back and uh, does some magic, and next thing you know, Kerwin is resurrected, and the painting is destroyed. Uh, the protagonist, the uh, the doctor who visits Ward in this period comments more than once that the painting is really creepy and it's not so much that the eyes seem to follow you as you walk across the room it's more that the eyes seem to follow charles ward wherever charles is walking across the room which that's creepy yeah so yeah i just i just 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 a few things i i want to want to comment on he he visits two people in in europe he he visits uh, a a guy in in Prague who is who is presumed to be Orn, and he he visits visits a a different guy in Transylvania who is who is Edward Edward Hutchinson, and they're 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 both masquerading under under different aliases. Yeah, and he of course he doesn't go immediately to them. He right. um, goes he, first. He spends some to, time. In, he spends some in, time in London. He spends right. some time in Paris. He's doing research, figuring out how to get in touch with them. I guess. Yeah. And we were we were commenting earlier on on like the the politeness of uh, New New England society being being Kerwin's chief chief uh, defense. I mean, uh, young Charles Dexter Ward is downright rude to his his very rich, you know, father and and mother who are who are, you know, we're very indulgent. Right. You know, you 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 would you would think that that a wealthy businessman would would not you know tolerate his uh you know his his son's be, son son's behavior they they they'd have a stern talking you know he'd he'd be shipped off to college whether he liked it or not to study business or or whatever but that that never seems to quite quite happen um, yeah instead he just sort of uh, drifts off to Europe and ends up in a castle in Transylvania. The description of the castle really does match Castle Dracula in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, you're, you're, uh, pretty you're, closely. You're, you're skipping the part where, like, he he builds a laboratory in his in his house and basically lives in there and ig- ignores his his mother, who's you know basically beside herself with 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 worry. And he's oh, is is he doing that before he leaves for Europe? I thought he didn't start with the the laboratory until he came back. Um. 
he definitely he definitely started shredding him him himself out before he he left for Europe. Um, I'm not I'm not sure, but like he's you know he's he's basically openly studying the 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 occult and chanting you know black magic spells in in the in the house of presumably good good Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they they hear the chanting, they smell the weird smells. Right, you know, and you know the the mother has a has a case of of the nerves. The 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 servants are all afraid of him, and and the father just just kind of lets this go on because you know, well, what can you do? You know, boys will be boys, I guess. Yeah, kids today with their rock music and their necromancy. Yeah, it 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 just seems kind of weird because in in any other story about this time period he would he would have been you know pulled up by his by his hair and 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 given the belt or something but anyways so yeah so so like you said uh eventually eventually um you know ward ward learns learns how to do at least some magic and enough to bring up uh kerwin and kerwin for a while masquerades as this as this dr allen yeah, once Ward resurrects Kerwin, uh, Kerwin dons a pair of glasses and a false beard, which in one place is called Sandy and in another place is called Black. So I don't know what's up with that. But um, And he moves out of his parents' house and into a little cottage, which just happens to have been built on the exact same spot as Kerwin's uh, wizard laboratory that he had back in the uh, 18th century. Yeah, out out in Pawtucket on a Yeah, on a, out in Pawtucket. On a farm. Yeah, and I I have to say like 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 the first time um I I listened to the case of Charles De- Dexter Ward and and most of this time I I was utterly baffled by Dr. Allen. I I figured he was some kind of manifestation of Nyarlathotep cuz Nyarlathotep is is, is always this this mysterious man in in shades, or he's he's sometimes the black man, and he he's just kind of like like that's that's the kind of thing that he would do is is you know, but um, no it 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 is Kerwin just wearing 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 a fake fake sun sun sun, sun sunglasses gla- glasses and beard. Yeah, yeah, and um, so Kerwin is back ensconced in his evil wizard laboratory. He's back to doing the evil necromancy that he had been doing in the past. Now he has Charles and uh, this mysterious figure, Gomez, who shows up uh, and is only mentioned a couple of times. And I'm not really sure why he's included. Well, um, I think, I think it's, when, it's a reference of, of Kerwin's old, old habit of, of em, employing, you know, foreign, foreign brown people and occasionally sacrificing them to his, his, his zombie pets that's true that's yeah that makes sense because um, Kerwin he absolutely falls right back into lit- almost literally all of his old habits um, there are de- there's it, you could practically make a list of all the stuff that he's doing in the 18th century before the posse comes and lynches him mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that he's doing um, in Charles Ward's cottage and it's just it's a it's a one to one thing. He's 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 not subtle about it at all. Um, 
I suppose we can be more forgiving of the characters in the story because they don't realize that they're in a uh, horror novel. Mm -hmm. So they're not primed to be on the lookout for necromancers. But man, he is not subtle in the least. Yeah, I mean, even even after there's there's a point where it, it becomes painfully obvious, like what's going on, and th- there's there is a point past that where the protagonists still just kind of deny everything. But yeah, um, eventually, eventually, Ward grows too squeamish for what whatever Kerwin's plan is, and yeah, Kerwin, he has a crisis of conscience, right? And he he in a in a panic, he tries to right to Dr. Willett, who's who's kind of been in and out of the story up up to this to this point, but at the at the point where Ward writes the letter, that's that's where that's where Willett becomes full on in in involved kind of as the as 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 the hero. Yeah. Now to clarify, Willett is a physician and he's a family friend of the Ward family. Uh, he and Charles Ward's father were, uh, apparently grew up together. Okay. Uh, so his interest, he's known Charles like his entire life, and he's somebody who is not, uh, not a parent mm-hmm. whom Charles might reasonably reach out to in a, in a time of crisis. But he is, he is a, a man of learning, a man of letters. He's, he's, he's very similar to Dr. Armitage. Yes, um, definitely. And I, I actually had just assumed that Dr. Willett was a psych- psychiatrist, but you're, you're probably right. There's, there's a, a lot. There's, I, th- I think there, there, there's reference to his, his, his time as a, as a surgeon. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's definitely more a, a medical doctor than a, than a, than a psych- psychiatrist. Um, yeah. So, uh, so up until this point, uh, the first part of the story has been focused on Kerwin and Kerwin's activities in the uh, 17th and 18th century. The second part of the story has been focused on Charles and the narrative of him uh, finding out about Kerwin, being driven to learn all that he can, going off to study necromancy, coming back and resurrecting Kerwin, and um, then Kerwin getting back to, to business. And then this this third part is really, I think, starts with the letter that Charles Ward sends to Willett, mm-hmm. uh, because it's the last thing that Charles Ward does. Right. He, he exits the story at this point. Right. Ward basically says, "You need to come here right now. I I I, I need to need to talk to you." And before Willett can can get there, Kerwin slips in disguised as Ward because he happens to look just 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 like him and kills him and poses as Ward and and, and says to Dr. Willett everything's fine uh, I don't know why I wrote that letter just turn around and go home and ignore like, the fact that I've suddenly started using 18th century accent and idiom right just just ignore the fact that I've done a complete 180 twice in one day let me tell you this story about a funny thing that happened to me back in 1710 and like an idiot, Doctor Willett does. He just turns around and goes back home. It's like that—that that was weird. No, seriously, seriously. There's a bit where Kerwin, disguised as Charles Ward, sits down with Willett and tells him a funny story about a thing that happened in 1710. Is—is—is is, is that the bit where like he he compares some some jazz music to the way so and so's sign creaked out out outside yes. the inn or or, or something? <laughs> he, yes, it's it's so like I like I said, Kerwin is a lot of things, but he is not subtle. 
it's uh, it's uh, this is something I commented on with regards to the Dunwich Horror, um, how the um, the Waite family was really not uh, not Waite Waitley family was really not subtle. But uh, in this case, I feel like it's even to an extent it's even more inexcusable because it's not happening out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in Dunwich, Massachusetts. It's happening in. I think I think it's 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 mentioned that that Kerwin is is arrogant. Like he, like he's he's not careful because he knows something that that other people don't. So like, why should should he worry? Because he's got he's got the power on his on his side. But yeah, it, he, no, he's 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 not careful. He's he's not clever um, at 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 all. Um, so this this section goes. Like like very very early on in this in this in this third part, uh, Ward. Well, it's 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 Kerwin. Kerwin, disguised as Ward, uh, is is carted off to the to the in in insane asylum. Uh, after I, I think after Willet makes one or two visits to the to the to the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. And and I mean th- throughout the rest of the story, they they, they continue to refer to Kerwin as. Ward, even after it becomes painfully obvious that right, because Willett hasn't figured it out, right? But you, you, the audience, have if if you've if you've been paying attention at at all. Yeah, my my uh, see that I found this portion of the story really kind of frustrating because at first I was entertained at how at the dramatic irony of us the reader knowing that Kerwin was impersonating Charles Ward and Willett, the uh, the protagonist, nominal hero, not having any clue. And then as that went on and on for, for pages and pages, I became frustrated because mm-hmm. it had just it had this this dramatic irony had worn out its welcome. Uh, and then it went on and on and eventually it came back around for me. The idea that um, that after after so much it was. It was not until Willet was actually down in the evil wizard laboratory, I believe, mm-hmm. that he he finally uh, finally puts it together and realizes that Charles Ward was murdered and I is being impersonated I think by it's, it's a necromancer. Even, it's even after that. It's 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 after he comes back out and he's consulting with with the father and the 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 detectives show up and they and they find. They, they they find the false beard and glasses. That's right. It's not until he finds the false beard and glasses that he figures it out. <laughs> Wait, oh, I, I got that. <laughs> which how how could you not notice a false beard? I mean, uh, even even Tr- Donald Trump, a billionaire, cannot <laughs> cannot convincingly wear false hair in the twenty first century. And the way they tested this hypothesis was incredible. Was, was to they draw a, a beard on a photograph. They drew glasses and a beard on him. And then, and then showed they had the d- detectives out. show the photograph to shopkeeps and say, is this the guy that, that you've seen? Why, why, why yes. <laughs> right, but we're, uh, we're, we're getting a, ahead of ourselves. So uh, Willett um, eventually has... has uh, Kerwin arrested, and then uh, Willett and the and the senior ward attempt to make an, an investigation of this farmhouse. 
And early into, well, I mean, the the very first weird thing they find is a secret passage in the basement, which, hello, the rats in the walls. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, almost immediately, uh, the, uh, Ward Ward Senior faints. And it's it's up to Willet to continue the uh, ex- exploration. Yeah, back in the uh, back in the 18th century, the leading lights of Provident society gathered a posse of about 300 guys mm-hmm. uh, to make this uh, expedition. And Willet decides that he can just do it himself. Well, those those 300 guys were worried that there was an evil wizard to contend with, and yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this I mean, this is basically an an early dungeon crawl. I mean, he's he's going down into a dark place full of narrow passageways. I mean, it 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 really reminds me of playing Zork one, because like he he's in a dark place, he's carrying a torch, and at, at one play, point he loses the torch, and he's got to feel his his way way around. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. That's a really strong parallel. Yeah, th- it's a it's during these uh this digging around that he finds the um the immortal proto-human uh mm-hmm. half men. Yeah, I who I, I are, forget who, who the are exact, what you get. Yeah. Yeah, who I, are what you get if you if the necromancy doesn't work out. Right. And 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 these things have been hinted at earlier in the, in the story cuz people people in the in the 18th century found, you know, weird pale bodies that 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 were not quite human at 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 some point. Um but yeah, I mean they're they're basically zombies, right? Or you know, ghouls yeah. or or yeah. something. They're they're not in, intelligent. They don't they don't need to eat, but they certainly will eat you if you get close enough. Yeah, they just they sit in their little cells at the bottom of these pits and they wail. Right. Uh, appears to be all that they are capable of doing. Yeah, so they're so they're in some kind of physical or spiritual pain. So yeah. it, it 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 seems like Destroying them and putting them out of their misery at, at at least might might allow whatever souls inside them to pass on to the to the to the afterlife. Um, what 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 gets me is is that they're they're re- referred to in in uh, in the Call of Cthulhu role playing game as cus- custodies, which is which which is the <laughs> the Latin word that uh, Willet finds for them in in um, in Kerwin's writing and. and Custodians just makes me think of custodians, which is which is a type of janitor. Uh, that's that's not what what I would have chosen to call these these uh, horrible monsters. Yeah, well, he also uh, he comes up with a cool Latin name for Ben Franklin's ashes, which is uh, what materia, which oh, okay. makes me think of Final Fantasy VII. It, Ben's Fra- Ben Franklin's ashes. Yeah, yeah, no. There's a uh, whole bunch of urns down there, right? Full of I must, what I must seem to be that. what seem to be ashes, which are the yeah, I, I remember the, the essential urns. salts of a bunch of. Uh, so, so Joseph Kerwin has has Ben Ben Franklin's ashes. Yeah, there's uh, a number of different references to it uh, in the correspondence among the immortal necromancers. Uh, they never, they don't say Ben Franklin. They say BF. Oh, okay. But they say go down to they say go down to Philadelphia, get oh, okay. BF, um, and when when you're finished with him, send him to me because I have questions for BF, and then there's like a, there's like a waiting list for BF uh, so from I Philadelphia. Guess, it the, seems pretty the, obvious that the, it's Franklin. The suggestion is that Ben Franklin was such a great scientist, 
or or even a necromancer him, himself that 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 other necromancers want to want to talk to him what, yeah that was that was my my guess was that the what lovecraft was trying to hint at was that franklin was a necromancer although that may be me interpolating because he's he's or, he's or, or, pretty or at, vague about at it. At least a wizard, right? Like you don't have to be a necromancer to to be a wizard. I think I think Willet says at the very end of the story that there's that there's other types of magic. Yes, yes. Um, I I I, I want to make, make make a brief aside because because that reminds me of there there there's there's another like incident um where like uh the the government almost gets involved because they they intercept a, a a shipment of something that. Kerwin disguised as, as as Ward uh, ordered, and it, it's like um, they 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 don't say what it is, but it could cause like a national upset if it if it comes to light. So like I, I like I, I guess the suggestion is like it's the bodies of like some king or queen, like like somebody really important. Yeah, I, well, I mean, body parts certainly. Um, I don't know that my interpretation of that was that the um, Kerwin was having just dead bodies smuggled to him and that the uh, law enforcement picked up on that something was getting smuggled and they assumed that it was bootleggers and that they discovered that no, not bootleggers, dead bodies. I don't know. Love, but, love, Lovecraft like but, definitely su- su- suggests that, that whatever the early 19th century equivalent of, of the FBI was like, mm-hmm. like, like the G men are like totally in, in, involved in like this this is like like a hush hush like we have to hush this this up or there's going to be like international war well that makes sense because if you're an immortal necromancer and you're raising up dead bodies to question them you don't want just random dead bodies you want the specific dead bodies of you know people who knew secrets wizards politicians i mean i i, I just assumed like it was it was like the king of england or yeah or, or like yeah, that, that seems reasonable right yeah, yeah. and like, I like somebody really way, big but yeah, uh, but it's 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 left very 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 vague, and it's it's yeah. Yeah, he's like I said, he's really specific about some things and really vague about other things, mm-hmm. which is um, kind of kind of refreshing. Yeah, that he's specific about some things without being specific about everything. That he's vague about some things mm-hmm. without being vague about everything. You know, a lot of fantasy that I read is uh, all of one or all of the other. All right, so so Willet is crawling around in this in this dungeon. He he finds weird zombie monsters, and he he ultimately finds the laboratory where Kerwin's been doing all of his ex- ex- experiments. And he he actually learns how to call things up and put them down. Uh, and I, th- I, th- I think think the very last thing that happens is he he calls up something that that, that appears in a in a cloud of green smoke. And I don't. I don't think we, we ever learn exactly who it who it was. But whatever he called up was not a friend of Joseph Kerwin or his other necromancers. Urn number one eighteen. Right, and we we learn later that whatever it, it was that got called up in the green smoke first carried Willet safely back to 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 the farmhouse, then filled up the dungeon under under the farmhouse with you know earth, and then. Much later, traveled to Europe and took out Orne and Hutchinson. Yeah, oh, he also uh, wrote a nice note to Willet in in Latin, uh, in like ninth century Latin. Yeah, yeah. 
telling him to uh, kill Ward or kill kill uh, Kerwin and then dissolve his body in acid, which is the same thing that Ward had written to Willett to tell him to do to Dr. Allen, which is how we, the audience, if we haven't caught on already, figure out that Dr. Allen is really Joseph Kerwin disguised as Charles Dexter Ward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, from there, Willett goes to confront uh, Kerwin now that he has finally figured out... Um, the identity of Kerwin right. and tells Kerwin that, you know, I summoned up this mysterious ninth century wizard. Um, and Kerwin says, no, no, if you had done that, uh, it would have killed you. And, uh, Willett does not actually have a good answer for that. So he just says, well, you know, you never know. And, um, then he does magic and, uh, well, that's that's the point where where he pulls out the out out the note in in Latin and shows it to him. Mm, mm. Yeah, um, no, he 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 visits Kerwin twice because yeah, he, well, because <laughs> yeah, because after after he visits him him the first time, then 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 there's the episode where uh, there's there's a point where he goes back to uh, Ward's house and does the cleansing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he goes to uh, Kerwin and he still hasn't figured it out. And I remember being very frustrated with Willett for talking to Kerwin as if he was Charles Ward. Um, and it's only after that that apparently he figures it out. He discovers Charles's body. There's, and yeah, there's the, there's there's the, the, the cleansing. Magic. He he dis- discovers the body, has it properly buried. Uh, and and then I think probably before that there's there's the meeting with with the de- detectives, um, which it, it struck me as odd that the senior ward had hired a team of detectives to guard the house, but okay. Well, I think detective in you know, hundred years ago didn't mean quite the same thing. I, I, I'm yeah, I'm assuming because the such, uh, yeah. the Pinkerton agency were detectives, but my understanding is that the main thing they did was bust unions. So a detective maybe was just a guy you hired to do stuff. For detectives, read hired goons. Yeah, I I guess like in in, in this story, their their main job seems to be asking people about Doctor Allen, and <laughs> and and learning that they didn't like his beard because it looked it it looked fake. And turns out it 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 was fake. So it was totally fake. I, I, I also had to look up the word uh, alienist because through, through, throughout this story, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is presenting theories from Willett and his colleagues, some of which are described as alienists, and, and, and they're all kind of debating exactly when Charles Dexter Ward went, went mad. And I, alienist apparently just meant psychiatrist or psychologist at this time. Yeah, it's a, I think it was kind of an archaic term even at that point, but this story has a lot of uses of archaic uh, archaic language. Yeah. The, he uses um, S-H-E-W for show in a bunch of places. He says uh, anent instead of about, which is, is something is, I had to look is up. Is that only when uh, Kerwin's speaking, or is that just in, no, it's, in the general? No, uh, it's in the... In the straight narr in the straight narration, hmm. the the um, 
exp- the exposition which comes from no character in particular. So that that that's one of the dis- disadvantages of uh, audiobook is is you don't you don't you don't get get all all of that. But uh, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So so alienist used to mean psych- psychiatrist, and in 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 present time, it is specifically used to mean. Uh, psychiatrists who evaluate uh, prisoners to determine if if they are uh, legally in insane or or fit to, fit to stand stand trial. Oh, really? Yeah, but at at that at at the time that Lovecraft was writing this story, it it just meant a shrink. So, uh, I I was thrown off because there was a D and D third edition prestige class in Lords of Madness called the the Alienist and it was basically a Lovecraftian druid. Yeah, I remember that one, the pseudonatural creature follower and so forth. Yeah. So, uh D&D totally took a real word and used it to mean something completely different. So, D&D does that a lot. Way to go. Yep. Yeah. So so we 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 basically reached the the the, the end of the story. Will it Willett uh, figures out what has has happened. He writes uh, Ward Senior a a very nice letter saying uh, everything's been taken care of. You're never going to see your your son again, and I can't quite tell you what happened, but just just take a vacation. Don't 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 worry about it. And 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 I I, I promise you that uh, your your son is in a safe place. Uh, and and then he visits Kerwin in in prison, and he he makes the the incantation uh, to to put him back down, which which is where you know Kerwin finally decides to use magic to defend himself or get himself out of his you know I mean he's he's a powerful wizard and he's just been sitting in a cell this entire time really. So there's a, that's addressed very briefly in the text. Um, you know, the first time Kerwin had to deal with local authorities uh, was when 300 guys showed up to lynch him, mm-hmm. and he resisted, and that ended up not going so well for him. So this time he's cooperating with the authorities to the best of his ability. Um, that's that's Willett's theory, I think, at some point. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, but he 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 begins an incantation that is is evidently longer and more complicated than the incantation Willet uses to put him back down, and basically mm-hmm. turns him into a pile of dust. And then he dissolves the dust in uh, nitric acid. Mm-hmm. Boom, aquafortis. And so presumably he's gone forever. Yeah, well, I would hope so. Nitric acid will pretty much destroy. Um, a lot of things. So I guess that that prevents there from 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 being from being from being a sequel. Yeah. Well, there's still uh, the mysterious case of number one eighteen, the eighth uh, or ninth century good wizard uh, who has taken out the necromancers. Or well, we we don't know that he's good. We know that he doesn't like Kerwin and his friends. Yeah, he's like that. Um, oh, that one wizard that Conan sort of made friends with mm-hmm. in uh, the story, the title of which I cannot recall. Uh, was was that uh, the the red crimson crimson fortress, red fortress something? Sounds something, something or other. Sounds likely. I could look it up, but Crim, crimson in, keep. Yeah, it's, it's not the Tower of the Elephant. It's a different one. No, it's it's there's there's definitely something red in the in 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 the title. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Um, the Scarlet Citadel? Was that it? 
That sounds likely. Yeah. Yeah, that may be something from uh, World of Warcraft. No, that's a Scarlet Monastery. So, Never mind. Yeah. If so, if if the if the Dunwich Horror reminded you of Ghostbusters, this reminds me of Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> evil, evil wizard in a painting. Come on. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a really apt comparison. I think the the painting thing is really kind of interesting um, because what happens is Kerwin is uh, discovers the painting kind of by accident, mm-hmm. right? Not painting. Uh, Charles Ward discovers the painting kind of by accident. He's digging through these historical records, and there's this one obscure reference that causes him to track down a different obscure reference that causes him to figure out to look for the painting and then he um figures out where it is he has to hire a guy to get the paint that's been it's been painted over mm-hmm. you know over the course of the last century um you know he gets it off he gets it's, it's a lot of there's a lot of uh work involved and then behind the painting is um this little bundle of notes of Kerwin's, which mm-hmm. could which um you know seem to be there purely coincidentally but there are long passages that are you know excerpted from those notes and the correspondence between Kerwin and the other evil necromancers and it's really made pretty clear that back in the 18th century Kerwin foresaw that he would eventually uh, you know get killed in some way so he made the decision to first to have a child Mm-hmm. And then, and thus have a descendant in the future, and then magically compelled that descendant to revive him. Uh, it's not something that is purely coincidental. Um, the strong physical resemblance between Charles Ward and Kerwin is not um, not mere chance of genetics. Mm-hmm. It's the result of magic. Uh, Ward's so you, so decision to, the, to seek the, this out yeah. is the result of magic. It's all uh, it's all the in, the interior of a spell, uh, which is the kind of thing that you don't see that much in well, in Lovecraft. Certainly, I don't. I can't think of another example from uh, from Lovecraft where that kind of magical working is uh, is presented. One yeah, that y'all... takes the form of seeming coincidence. So 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 you you think the painting planted something like like a like a geus on on Ward? More than that, I think that that geus was the last step in a process that began before Ward was even born. Hmm. Um, that he that Kerwin set everything up, knowing that he would have a descendant who would seek him out and hmm. go through these steps. And and he he knew that much because he was told so by Yogg-Sothoth, who presumably used some some kind of clair, clair, clairvoyance. Yeah, well, Yogg-Sothoth exists outside of time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think that's what is that's what it says in his write up in Trail of Cthulhu. So uh, why not? Why not, indeed. So uh, bringing this to Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, you've you've got inspiration here for at at least. Two ad- adventures. You, I mean, you could, you could, you can, you can run it as the more simple, you know, townsfolk versus evil, evil wizard story 
that you have taking place in the in the 18th century, or you can you can run the adventure of the reincarnated evil wizard possessing the body or disguising himself as you know innocent young respectable townsperson in in modern day uh you've you've got a dungeon and 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 then you've you've got all the loose ends with um Kerwin's fellow fellow necromancers. I mean, there's there's we we learned that there's a castle in in Transylvania where a creepy old man lives who's not Count Dracula, but but operates you know this this way. And 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 you you could you could even just use this as a a model for how does a wizard operate, right? How does he set up his 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 operation. How does he disguise himself poorly? You could you could you, you could look at the mistakes that that Kerwin makes and make sure that your NPC wizard doesn't do that. Or you could make your NPC wizard make all of those mistakes. Right. Uh, because you know this is this is a story. It's uh, I'm I'm reminded of a game that I played in back when uh, whenever Fourth Edition first came out. Um, the I was a player in this game. The party went to basically a like citadel that was inhabited by a like a shape changed black dragon, and he was the the king of the of the citadel, mm-hmm. and um, had developed this sort of like fascist society where there were you know alphas who made the decisions who all answered to the black dragon, and um. They had underlings, and the underlings had underlings, and it was very hierarchical, but the actual – and it was this complicated society, kind of like an anthill sort of thing. Hmm. But all of the decisions were being made by a very small number of people, mm-hmm. and this was somebody that we were inevitably going to be on the outs with, even though we were there as a diplomatic mission. So while we were there and we were seeing all of this, um, something that kept happening was that the woman whose job it was to like shepherd us around and give us a tour, she was one of the high-ranking people who made decisions. Uh-huh. And like every five minutes, somebody ran up to her and said, I have this problem that you need to solve right now. And it, she uh, would apologize and have to go off and deal with it. And then and that was, a, of course, an opportunity for us to sneak around. And right. then she'd come back and she'd start talking to us again. And then somebody else would come in. And I was talking to the game master about it afterwards. And I was like, you know, it's, it's really obvious what the flaws in this hive society, what the flaw in this hive society is when you have this, these, this uh, so few people are allowed to make decisions, mm-hmm. uh, what, the, what the weak points are. And he said, yeah. Um, and he had considered, when he was setting all this up, he considered how uh, broad he wanted to go with it versus how subtle. And his original plan was, well, you know, I mean, it needs to be minimally functional. So uh, it, it needs to make sense that it at least lasts this long without falling apart under its own strain. So it needs to work reasonably well. And then he thought, well, what if it didn't work reasonably well at all? What if it was just cartoonishly obvious what the, what the problems were? Uh-huh. And the answer to that is, if it's cartoonishly obvious, then it becomes a lot more entertaining. Yeah, I think that there's, I think that subtlety is an overrated virtue in uh, in role playing games a lot of the time. Well, especially because players are stupid. 
They don't. Yeah. <laughs> players players are stupid, but NPCs. You know, they don't know that they're NPCs. Right. They don't know that they're in a story. They're they're not going to be on the lookout for evil wizards. You know, they should be at least as oblivious as the people of Providence. Oh, you know, if the if the police weren't so in in incompetent, then the then the detective wouldn't wouldn't stand out as a as a genius. Yeah, I, I mean, and of course, there's a fine line because you don't want to have the the people that you're nominally trying to save be so stupid that you feel like they don't deserve saving. Right. But I think that you can get a lot of mileage out of just fully committing to the bit. You know, to to a lack of ironic distance, to because the thing the thing about the case of Charles Dexter Ward that really strikes me is its sincerity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. There's it is one hundred percent committed to Kerwin as an evil wizard. You know, he's not maybe an evil wizard. He's not an evil wizard except when he goes to church on Sundays. He's not an evil wizard um, with redeeming qualities. He is straight up an evil wizard. He's a time traveler, uh, effectively. And Mm -hmm. he's totally willing to tell you stories about the past that he could not logically, if he was not a time traveler, have access to, etc. It's a it's 100% committed to presenting that. And I think I feel like there's a there's a lesson to be learned there. All right. Cuz so. this, uh, this is the most uh entertaining Lovecraft story that I've read uh you know since I read 80% of Lovecraft back when I was a teenager. Well, that's certainly. that's a that's a five-star review if if I ever <laughs> ever heard one and I I I have to I have to agree. I mean this is this is definitely one of the one of the best stories that 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 we reviewed on this on this show, uh, you know, I I I hate to pick like a a a favorite, but this is definitely like one of my favorite Lovecraft stories of of yeah. all all time. Like I would I would read this again. I think that if Lovecraft had um, you know not succumbed to depression, if he had kept working on this and tried to have it published in his own lifetime that it probably he probably would have trimmed it a bit because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like the third act where Willet is going along, going along being just willfully ignorant I think that goes on for a little bit it, it, it really uh, should have, it should have ended to. like immediately after he comes out of the dungeon and not like we like the the scene with the cleansing and the scene with the with the de- de- detectives and the fake beard should have happened before yeah it's because the, the the dungeon really seems like the climax of, of the story. i really i really enjoyed this story it's a fifty thousand word story i think that there's an incredible forty thousand word story inside it uh is basically what i'm saying here and i i, I think it's it's fine i mean you could you could certainly edit it for forever, but I mean George Lucas did that with Star Wars and look. Oh look, sure, look, sure. I guess I guess what, what I'm saying what is got, that um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward is a really good Lovecraft story. It is still not my favorite Lovecraft story. What, what is your uh, it was just a breath of fresh air. What is what is your 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 favorite? Uh, Shadow of Rensmith. I think I think my favorite is still the Rats in the Walls. Although I, rats I, in the walls? I have not read 
the Shadow over Innsmouth. So I, I, might, I might change my mind after we... Shadow over Innsmouth, the Dunwich Horror, and the Whisperer in Darkness are, are my three favorites. Have we, have we done... I don't think we've done Whisperer yet. Oh, is, is that I, the one with the, with the brain swapping? Is that... Yeah, it does have brain swapping in it. I don't know if it's the one with brain swapping because, you know, the, this one had brain swapping too. Right. No, it's 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 the one with that that, that introduces the uh, the Migo. Yes, it is the one that introduces yeah, the Migo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we haven't gotten gotten to that yet, but I I have read it. So, okay. That one's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. All right. Wow. Oh, and have... you know, I'm, I, I say that, and I'm I'm kind of putting Call of Cthulhu in its own special category. So I suppose I should say that my favorite is the Call of Cthulhu, followed by. The Shadow Over Innsmouth, The Whisperer in Darkness, and uh, The Dunnage Horror. Yeah, see, I mean, it, 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 you, it, you really can't, when you, when, when you start trying, trying to rank them, it, it, it gets really tough, because they're all really darn good. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like you can put them, you can put Lovecraft stories into three categories. There's the superlative classic category, mm-hmm. and there's the really good story category, uh-huh. and there's the stories that I haven't read and when I read them I can see why I was not why I was not uh, presented with them in the past before I sought them out uh, the one with the guy on the submarine for instance oh yeah falls into that, falls into that category yeah alright uh, ladies and gentlemen wow I think we've been talking for uh, well uh, Jeff and I have been talking for more than an hour. I don't know that that we've that that you've heard more than than an hour. But uh, if 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 you could not tell from our discussion, this is an amazing story, and you should go out out and read it right now. What are you waiting for? Seriously, uh, Jeff, you you have a website. I do have a website. My website is jeffwick.com. Um, I have. Uh been updating it i anticipate that by the time this goes live i'll have been updating it for a while on my new schedule which is uh once a week on wednesdays there'll be an article which is a uh, description of part of the histories of herodotus um which is a real sword and sandals kind of uh setting let me tell you was was he give or take what's that 500 BC. Give or he, take. he was a real person, right? Herodotus, yes. He describes uh, nominally real people. Um, if you assume that they're real people that interacted with flying snakes and um, so forth. You, you never know. I mean, Giant ants that dig up gold. I, I wasn't there, so I, 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 I can't say. All right. Check out uh, Jeff's writing, and uh, you probably won't be sorry. With another threat to our solar system narrowly averted, it's almost time to bring this show to a close. It's always fun to talk about Lovecraft, and if you enjoyed our discussion, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this episode, you can always contact us through The Tome Show by sending an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put Appendix N in the subject line so they know where to send it right to me. Our next episode features three episodes in the life of Conan the Barbarian, Shadows in the Moonlight, Queen of the Black Coast, and The Devil in Iron. Come hear tales of high adventure, ancient ruins, scary monsters, and damsels in distress. 
After that, we will discuss the novel The Legion of Space by Jack Williamson. And finally, after that, we will discuss three more tales of weird fiction by H.P. Lovecraft. The Whisperer in Darkness, Shadow Over Innsmouth, and Dreams in the Witch House. As always, the Lovecraft and Howard stories are public domain and freely available on the web. The Legion of Space is not freely available, but you can purchase cheap copies from used bookstores through Amazon.com, and there is an audiobook version available through Audible.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 21, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. Thanks for listening. We're friends. Out.